0: Hey, welcome to the Jacobs Well Podcast. This week we are finishing up our transcendence series, and we are going out with a bang because we're talking about the attributes of God, and this week we're talking about one of the most important ones. We're simply celebrating that God is love. Without without it, nothing or say I say or do matters. Without it, anything I receive is empty. This thing has the potential to lead me to live bold and brave and alive, but without it, I live small and selfish and empty. This thing is patient and it's kind and it's gentle and it's not rude. This this thing does not stack up old offenses and keep records of wrongs and embrace resentment and unforgiveness. This thing uh, allows others to bloom and blossom. It celebrates the success of others. It lets others win. This thing defines us as followers of Jesus Christ. This thing is central to what it means to be a Christian. This thing fights. It is powerful. It sticks with us. It endures. It never fails. This thing we're talking about is love, it is what we are defined as, as a Christian. And we've been in this series where we've been talking about the transcendent nature of God, that which is big and beyond, that which is huge, that which is mind-blowing. And, and there's no other characteristic attribute of God that, 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 that is more defining for what we are meant to be and how we are meant to live than the love of God. Because we believe God is Love. Let me let me just ask everybody to close your eyes. And just receive this. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Now, now we've been looking at this series and we've been saying that, that we study the attributes of God. Not so that we can have a theological checklist and be theological proper so we can figure out who's in and who's out and all the things we tend to do when we abuse our beliefs. But instead, we're called to align our nature and character with the nature and character of God. And nowhere, I mean, nowhere is that more true uh, than this thing of love. That if, if God is love, what does it mean for us to be love? What does it mean for us to be the kind of powerful people who live and walk in love? We, we can see all kinds of examples of where God gets this and, and how he gets his nature and character in terms of revelation. But the big one that I really want to focus on today is the living word and when we say that God is the living word we say that Jesus came to be what God was coming to say the living word is Jesus and if there's any example of what love looks like how it lives how it acts what it does it's Jesus and so if you ever want to know what love looks like in human form look at how Jesus treated people and, and what he did, and what he stood for, and ultimately how, how he sacrificed. Because there were two things that defined Jesus' love. One was service, and the other was sacrifice. And so if you ever wonder if God loves you, remember he Sent Jesus. Now, one of the dangers whenever we study the attributes of God or, or we just kind of trip into what we believe about God, like it's some kind of an opinion thing rather than really what God is like, is we can create a franken God and we do this with love all the time. Sometimes, uh, some of us get this idea that that love is a sentimental notion, like God is some kind of cosmic Santa Claus that smiles on things and love is just kind of a wishy-washy kind of thing. Nothing could be further from the truth. Love is powerful. It is unshakable. It is enduring. You're not going to last long without love. Love overcomes hate, and at the end of the day, love wins. And, and so love is powerful. Others have, have created a franking God because you really have started to begun to doubt whether or not God loves, or maybe maybe you believe God loves. He loves certain people, but he doesn't love you. You've let the love of God grow cold in your life. We're going to talk about how that happens and why that happens. Maybe for others you've bought into the the culture and you think that love is about some kind of of taking. Maybe it's some kind of weird intimacy sexual thing. Maybe for you it's about manipulating people. You call things love that aren't love. Instead of making it about sacrifice and service for others, you try to use the word love to kind of manipulate others to get your own way. Whatever it is, our culture is really messed up on this thing of And so there's a desperate need for us to rediscover what love looks like in the nature of character of God. Now, before I really dive into the scripture, I want to say a couple things about this thing we're getting ready to start next week. Because at the heart of this thing of legacy is about asking ourselves what kind of life matters. I mean, what kind of, of life would be significant? And and at the, the, the one way to answer that question is a life of love. A life of service and sacrifice for something bigger than ourselves. And, and so, today when you leave, you're going to be getting a book. And, and I want to encourage you to, to, to use that, review it this week, and then bring it back next week as we start diving into these messages. Now, now I want to say one thing. I just want to kind of uh, respond to a question that we've gotten from some of you, and, and and I want to just kind of speak into some of the tension about the question. And so I just want to be honest because people have been asking, hey, let me just ask you about this legacy thing. Is this just some big money thing? Is this just big some big money thing? And and although we're going to be talking some about money as part of legacy, it is such an incredibly small part and it certainly is not the heart of it. At the heart of it is us as a church speaking into this crisis of meaning, this this question about why I matter, what's significant, how should I live? And the vast majority of time, we're not going to be talking about money at all. We're going to be talking about things like your family and, and things about how you do your work and how you live. And and this has potential to 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 deeply touch you in ways you've never imagined. As we go on this journey from moving to being less of an owner whose life is about us and for us and for our purposes, this empty way of living, to a life that says, I want to live for something bigger than myself. And this journey we're going to find is, is profound and deep as we walk through the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and so I want to just let you know that, that this is so much more, so much deeper, so much more profound than that. And I think you're going to find that the vast majority of time, we're going to be talking about money at all. And so, so it's about love. So, so, so that's what's coming up with legacy. Now let's talk about this thing ...about God is love. Now, there's two passages of scriptures primarily we're going to look at. Some from 1 John and some from the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, one of the major themes we looked at last week was light. The other one is love. And so God is a God of truth. He he speaks into our life, but he does it with love. That, That the primary motivation, the central motivation that God has for his interaction with us is love. Let's take a look at what the scripture says. It says, my beloved, and this is John's just favorite terms. He wants you to receive that word, that you are beloved, that regularly and routinely, just a good spiritual practice for you, would be to close your eyes and say, I am the beloved. I am the beloved. I am the beloved. I am loved By God. And God's purposes for me are rooted and established in love. And ultimately that love will bring me to good and wonderful places. No matter what's going on in your life, you are the beloved. He says, beloved, let us love one another. Now understand, that is the central command of Jesus. It's bigger than anything else he calls you to do. Any behaviors, any actions, any attitudes, the big thing above everything else, he says, my big commandment is that you love one another. It also happens to be his most unreasonable commandment. Right? Because at the end of the day, y'all are a mess. And I'm a mess, and I'm hard to love, and you're hard to love, you know? I sometimes wish people was more like my golden retriever, you know what I mean? Easy to love my golden retriever, you know? It's been said, you know, how do you tell the difference between the love of a dog and the the love of a person? Well, if you lock both in a trunk for a day and you open the trunk, the golden retriever will be glad to see you, you know, right? (laughs) That's a little dark glimpse into my soul. Uh, But the, the, the the point is this. Is that it's hard to love people. Because people will do foolish things and you'll help them and they'll undo the help. They'll, they'll, they'll do the same thing over and over again. They'll set patterns. It's sometimes figuring, hard to figure out what love looks like. And so this command is a deep command. It's a hard command to figure out. But it's one we've got to run back to all the time. Central command of Jesus. Beloved, let us love one another. From love is from God. If you want the most powerful things to come from you, you want the things from God. And, and love comes from God. And so sometimes we've got to run back to God and say, God, help me love this person. God, help me to understand what love looks like for this person. God, my kid did it again. How do I love this person? My, my spouse did it again. That guy at work did it again. My brother, my sister, my roommate, whatever, did it again. What does love look like? We need to fight for love. He says, and whoever has loves has been born of God. That is to say that that who they are has been changed. They have been so radically altered by the love of God that the love of God throws through them and knows God. That is to say that our relationship with God Overflows in love. It's like, you know what it's like? It's like a chain reaction. It's that God so loved the world that He sent His Son, and that is so radically touched a handful of people during the time of Jesus that they just exploded in every direction with love. And they brought that love and that message to other people, brought it to other people, brought it to other people and now it's part of our life. And we're meant to just kind of be born of love, explode with love, be sharing with love like a chain reaction and it shows that we know God. In fact, I just want to suggest I want to say clearly from the scriptures that you can't really know God. You can't live in the full benefit of a love relation with God if you're not willing to love and receive his love and then let his love flow through you. It's hard work. It's a high calling. It's scary because sometimes when you love, you start to care, and sometimes when you care, you get hurt. It's a really difficult command to love one another, but it's central to what it means to be a Christian. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. God is love. And so if you say, you know what, I know God, I have a relationship with God, I prayed the right prayer, I go to church. But love is not who you are. It's not what defines you. It's not what drives you. It's not something you're regularly routinely running back to. Even in the song we just sang, fear doesn't have a chance when I'm in your love. And, and what does it mean to be in your love? Well, it means that love flows through you and to you. You receive it and you give it. It defines you. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son of the world so that we might live through him. So what does love look like? It looks like sacrifice. It looks like service. It looks like the God of all creation. Sending his son. Listen, this is what was going on. In all of eternity and beyond eternity, for all time, God lived in this incredible community called the Trinity. And it was a a love relationship between the Father and the Son, and the Son and the Spirit, and the Spirit and the Son. And, And it was at once this unity, but it was also this glorious community. And it was perfectly satisfying it was complete and the creative act of god making the world and then making us in his image was him inviting us into that loving community he extends the trinity not by making us god but by inviting us into this love relationship and and so god so loved the world that he wanted us to be part of that and 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 sin messed up we know how that works but at the end of the day he wanted it so much that he sent his son God in the flesh, we're getting ready to celebrate that at Christmas here in just a couple months. And, and and God in the flesh, God came to earth that we might be with him in love relationship. It's profound, it's deep, it's most profound fundamental as Christians. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? It means it satisfies the demands of sin. It pays the price for sin. It turns wrath, which is what sin brings, frustration, chaos, Disorder, that's what sin brings, and instead brings grace and mercy and, and beauty and, and, just, and just forgiveness. And so Jesus came. And so, if you ever doubt the love of God, maybe you're at a point in this like, this week, you say, I had a heck of a week, I had a heck of a season. And there are times I just, don't, I just don't know the love of God, I can't feel the love of God, I doubt the love of God. Meditate on the cross. And remember, that cross was for you. It was for you, and and it makes now a pathway for you to live in the love of God. He goes on, and he says, Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, he comes back to that central command. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, what he's saying here is this is the evidence for God in our life. Love. It says no one has ever seen God. And that's a big problem for a lot of people. It's one of the big things atheists would say. that They'll say something like, well, if God is God, why doesn't he just show up in the sky? Why doesn't he just show himself? And he says, you know what? Here I am. Stop doing that. Okay? Just big old God sitting up in the sky. Why doesn't he do that? Well, because God has chosen another way to reveal himself. He's revealed himself through the love of God in Christ. And now, today, in real time... He reveals himself in the love of his people. You know the best evidence, the most compelling evidence, the evidence that turns more people to God than every theological argument, any historical argument, and a philosophical argument. It's just people loving in Jesus' name. It's people saying, Jesus is so radically just redesign my life that now I live different, I act different, I forgive different, I walk differently because I walk now in love. And so when we understand that we are meant to be the evidence that the love of God teaches us to love one another, and this perfects us, it's perfected in us, and more that the love of God can flow through us, the more that God is seen well, then we understand the importance of love in, 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 in receiving it and giving it and giving evidence to God. Look what he says in verse 17. He says that by this... Love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. And so what he says is it throws out judgment that we're going to be condemned. It throws out shame because so many people just live in shame and they're just sure that it's just a matter of time before God throws them out, before they do something that God says, I didn't know you were going to do that. I wouldn't have committed to love you if I knew you were going to do that. But God knows that, and and in spite of our struggle, he still loves us, and as the love of God is perfected in us, what it does is it gives us confidence that I'm being changed, I'm being transformed, I'm not perfect, I'm not on the journey, I'm not what I should be or what I will be, but I'm not what I was, and I've taken steps, and a transformation has taken place, and God promises in the scripture of that which he began, he will continually carry out and finish unto the day of Christ Jesus. And when we start seeing a transformation of love, it gives us confidence. It gives us assurance. It helps us to see, okay, God is real. He's real in my life. I'm being transformed by the love of God and the love of God is flowing through me. One of the things that excites me more than anything else is when a person notices life change in their own life. It's when they'll come to me and say, you know, wow, you know, when I first started coming here, I was a mess, I was angry, I was hurting, I was selfish, but now, you know what, I just, I'm really enjoying being a, a giving person, a generous person. You know what, when I started coming here, I was full of resentment and unforgiveness, I had to my father, my mother, everybody else, but you know what, I started working this thing, starting to forgiving people and I've actually got forgiveness in my heart. And, and you know what? Before, I did everything for myself. It was all about myself. I only lived for myself. Now, I'm starting to serve, and I'm starting to volunteer, and I'm starting to give in the community. And I'm starting to even change the way I look at my life and my work. You know, one of the things that we've just got to do better as Christians is not focus on the things we haven't done yet but the things that God has already done in us, and celebrate the progress. Live in today and say, you know what, today I'm not the person I am. And if you can look and you can see change in your life because of the love of God, it gives you confidence that on the day of judgment, you know, you're not going to be thrown out. On the day of judgment, you're going to be transformed because we are like he was in this world. Well, what was he like? Well, he was love. And so living in love gives you confidence. It helps you recognize, I'm living a life of significance, a life that matters. Consider now verse 18. There's no fear in love. Love drives out fear. That is to say, when we are aware of the love of God, we are abiding in the love of God, it, it just has this thing that we show at, no matter what happens, God loves me. You know, whether or not, you know, I, I do a good job or a bad job, God loves me. Whether or not I get the thing or do the thing, God loves me. There's nothing I can do to undo the love of God. God can't love me any more than he does. I didn't do anything to earn the love of God, so I can't do anything to undo the love of God in my life. And when I have that as a foundation, when I'm regularly and routinely returning to that, it drives out fear. He says, but perfect love casts out fear. When we live in that that transformational, that perfecting love of God, it casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Punishment is gone because Christ was punished in our place. And whoever fears has not been perfected in his love. That's to say, if you've still got fear defining you, you haven't dived into the love of God yet. You haven't abided in the love of God yet. You have not just just put your trust in the love of God in such a way that that fear is, is pushed out of the edges of your life because I am loved by God. No matter what's going on, the love of God defines me. And so again, we ask this big question, how are we to align our lives with This truth that God is love. Well, there's two big things we want to do. The first thing is we want to abide in God's love. And and there's some of you who desperately need to do this today. That you have been pushing God's love out with an attitude, with a doubt, with a despair. You've been putting your focus on things that are dark, are broken. You've been looking at what you're not and what you don't have. And today, you just need to stop. Okay? You should just stop. Everybody just stop. Take a deep breath. <sighs> do it again. And this time just breathe in the love of God. God is love. Just do one more time. God is love. And just remind yourself. Speak truth to yourself. Sing to yourself. We sing so many songs about the love of God. You need to play them on the radio. You need to remember them. You maybe need to reach back into your past in a song. One song we used to sing a lot when I was first a Christian, back when, just before the dinosaurs died, I first became a Christian. And then, then it was a long time ago. Oh, we sang this song. I don't know if you're not. Oh, how he loves you and me. There's a reason I'm not on worship team. <laughs> oh, how he loves you and me. How do I know that? Well, he gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves you and me. And and just to sing comfort to your soul, reminding of your soul. Whatever song of love resonates with your soul, if it's a song about the cross, if it's amazing grace, if it's how great thou Art—whatever whatever it is, you sing to your soul so that you could abide in the love. Look what Jesus says. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Think about that. The Father loved Jesus in the Trinitarian community. Father could not love Jesus more, right? At the very least, you believe that the Father loved Jesus, right? Well, Jesus said, I loved you with that same love. I extended that love to you. It's more profound. It's more precious. It's more radical than anything. And it doesn't matter who else didn't love you, who else rejected you. God loved you in Jesus. He said, now abide in my love. Marinate in it. Rediscover it every day. Just remind yourself. Speak to yourself. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. You abide in the love of God. And look what he says. He says, if you keep my commandments, what's his commandment? To love one another. Because here's the thing we need to understand. One of the reasons we don't abide well in the love of God is because there's someone else we've given ourselves permission not to love. We've made another person other. And, and so what happens is the love of God grows cold in us. And so that we can neither receive it nor we can give it. He says, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I abide in his love. He said, the Father loved me, so I gave love and now I abide in the Father. When you look at Jesus' love relationship, if you've ever studied, particularly in the Gospel of John, how close and intimate the Father and Jesus were, he, he just relied on, he lived in the love relationship with God. He said, you should do the same thing. He said, these things I have spoken to you that you may have joy and that your joy may be in full. And so this thing is that we are called to be in this love relationship with Christ that pushes out fear that brings back joy. Now again, one of the reasons we don't experience that is because we've given ourselves permission to put someone in the category of other or un- unlovable or or someone who I don't have to obey the command to love. And what ends up happening is that we'll say, you know what? This person hurt me, and so we start getting resentment and then bitterness. We we start we start we start not cherishing goodwill towards them in our heart, we start imagining them hurting, we start, we start playing a role that we're not supposed to pray, play, because some of you say, well, you don't understand, this person, they've done some wrong things, and someone needs to hold them accountable, and so I'm going to hold them accountable. Well, unless they're like a judge, or the police, or God, it ain't your job. In fact, God is much more qualified to bring judgment on people than you are. That's why it says don't judge. Okay? Lest you be judged. Lest you fall into that thing. It's because the standard you use will be used with you. That is to say that you will drag yourself down with this attitude of being judgmental, this attitude of unlovingness, this attitude of unforgiveness. And so he says, he says, when you get to this point where you're no longer obeying the command of God to love one another, and even the least of these, well then, well then, the love of God starts growing cold towards them. And what you'll notice is that the love of, before God starts getting cold, and your ability to receive the love of God, to abide in the love of God, to find the comfort of the love of God, that's not, I'm not saying God won't love you, I'm saying you're not living in the benefit of it, you are pushing it off, it's like the, the teenager goes through that time where they're pushing away the parent's love, it's been my experience that, that when that happens, parent's love for a co- child grows up, it, it, it inflames, it becomes this incredible love for this child that you want to strangle, but you also love, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? And the child can't live in the full benefit of the parent's love. You know, and that's part of growing up, and it's kind of a natural thing. But when we do it with God, when we let unresentment resentment or sin or something in our life that, that pushes love out of our life, it pushes God back from our life. And he says, there's love I want to give you. There's joy I want to give you. And instead of seeing things like peace grow and love grow and transformation grow, we start seeing things like anxiety grow. We start seeing things like resentment grow and and we start seeing things like bitterness grow. We start seeing things like selfishness grow and and greed grow and envy grow and jealousy grow because those are all ways we treat other people. And when we when we let ourselves not obey the the most basic command to love, we make someone an other, then 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 the love of Christ goes cold for them, goes cold in us, and we can't receive the love of God. See his ultimate purpose in his love is to give us joy say 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 what is this joy thing well this joy is not necessarily happiness dancing although it can be that what joy ultimately is I love what the old theologian says he says it's an inward sense of well-being that cannot be shaken that no matter what's going on in my life I come back and I realize oh yeah God loves me it's going to be all right you know what God loves me it's going to be okay and, and when we live in that, we then start giving. They say, well, Paul, how far is that supposed to go? I've got someone in my life who I, I've given myself permission not to love. I've got resentment towards them. I've got war with them. I've got bitterness towards them. You know, what am I supposed to do? Well, Jesus said it this way. He says, love your enemies. Bless or do good to those who, who curse you. And, and, and so that's where it starts you say, I've got a person, how do, I, how do I start the journey to forgive them? First thing you do is you go to God and say, God, I'm not living in your love. Teach me to forgive. I don't, I don't even know how it all looks. And then the second thing you do, you know what you start doing? You start praying for that person. And don't pray Old Testament. God, strike down the un- ungodly. Don't do that. Okay, I'll pray for you. Get all Old Testament in my prayers for you. It's not that. It's God, And it's not God fix them or get them the right attitude, or help them to repent, because until they repent, God, I don't really have to forgive them, right? No. It's saying, God, just bless them. Bring good things in their life. Help them forgive. Now, some of you don't want to pray that because you've become so angry at the person. You kind of want God to just kind of unload an Old Testament on them. But when you start praying a blessing on a person, God will do something amazing. He will soften you. He will humanize them. He will help you see the perspective you don't have and the things that you're missing. When you daily say, as a discipline, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to, I'm going to seek to bless this person in my heart first before I say or do anything else. I'm not going to call them and say, you know, I'm praying for you. Nothing like that, okay? None of the sideways stuff, but you're going to just pray for them. And you're going to ask God to see, God, just teach me to love this person. And what this person loves. That's what Jesus says. He says when you love your enemies, you show yourself to be a son and daughter of God. It's the most profound thing. It's stunning to the watching world when we have every reason to condemn and to reject and, and to push down. And instead, we choose love. The world goes, wow, that's remarkable. That's beautiful. That's what Jesus is. That's what the cross is all about. That's where joy comes from. And when you begin to see that start happening in your life, you get set free. Because when you're holding resentment and unforgiveness, when you're holding you know, this, this unwillingness to love someone, some group, some person, it might be political for you. you know, This might be you know, uh, uh, a real, and I'm not saying a serious thing hasn't been done to you. But I'm saying, when you hold on to it, the only person you're hurting is yourself. It's the old statement, is that unforgiveness or bitterness is like eating poison and expecting somebody else to die. The person it's killing is you. And, and, And worse, is it's keeping you from being able to abide in the love of God. It's keeping you from enjoying worship again. Letting the word of God speak to you and and living in freedom. Ultimately, it will keep you uh, um, so broken in the love of God that because you can't receive the love of God. It won't just mess up that one relationship of unforgiveness. It will mess up every other relationship in your life. It will make you a bitter and hard person, a cynical person, a person who is far from God. So we need to desperately love, learn to abide in the love of God so that we might love one another. Listen to what he says. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's lying to himself. He's fooling himself. That I'm a good Christian, I love Jesus, I go to church, I do all this stuff. Meanest people in the world are people very often who go to church every week. Because it's, you, have to, you have to harden yourself pretty good, right? To go to church all the time and hear the truth and still hold on to that hatred, that resentment, that unforgiveness... And so it, it, it makes you hardcore, you can just harden yourself to it, but if you say, "I'm all about love of God, but I hate someone, I love God uh, he says she says, "You're a liar, for he does not not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he not love God, who has not seen and so and so this is how we practically learn to love God more. we love each other and and, and isn't that the case that that that's the thing that's going to just stir God's heart more than anything else when he sees us loving each other. I mean, anybody who's a parent and sees the kids who grew up, your deepest desire is that they would love each other. And when they become friends, you know, it's the most beautiful things. I got five kids who I'm pretty sure, I was pretty sure growing up, they'd kill each other. Just They would just kill each other. And they would say things, grit, teeth, terrible things. They said horrible things about each other that they would never say to their worst enemy or stranger on the way to school in the morning, right? Uh, no, your children are better than my children. You're better parents than them, apparently. But now, as they've grown up, and they got through all that teenage angst stuff like that, it's amazing. What are you doing? Oh, I'm hanging out with the brother. The one you were going to kill a few years ago? Yeah, that's him. Oh, we're going. This is good. And oh, yeah, I, I got this really, I got to call my sister and tell her about it. Oh, you guys are talking. That's great, you know. Um, and your heart as a parent delights when your children love each other. How much more the love of God? How much more do we abide in the love of God when we learn to love one another? We learn to love the God we cannot see because we're loving those we can see. Verse 21. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, he keeps coming back to this command. It's not something he brought up once. Once. He brought it up over and over and over. In fact, he brought it up on the night before he died. Look what Jesus said. John 15. So this is the night before Jesus died. He said, this is my commandment. Brought it up again. right? Like the last thing he's saying to his disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you. Dude's about to die on the cross. And he says, sacrifice and service, that's what love looks like. That's what you're going to see in me. Look what he says. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command and love one another. No longer do I call you servants, okay? For a servant doesn't know his master what his master's doing or his master's business. God's business is love. But I have called you Friends, so, so he includes them in the loving community and says, you want to stay in the full benefit of the loving community. I'm not saying God's going to stop loving you if you don't love. You can't make God stop loving you. But you can't live in the benefit of his love. You push the benefit of his love away when, when you don't live in love. These things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. That at the heart of it is this deep and abiding love, that Jesus has now. Um, one of the things we try to do here at Jacobs Well is we try to create opportunities for us to rediscover love. This weekend, we got three things that I want to put on your radar. The first one are these little boxes. You may have noticed them in the lobby. You can hear more about them in the announcements. We're we're partners with this incredible group called the Forgotten Initiative. And the Forgotten Initiative is a group of of a um, uh, 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 ministry in town that works to support foster parents. I don't know if you realize this, but the need of foster care has exploded in our state by hundreds and hundreds. So there are hundreds of new kids who are in foster care. So these are kids who have been through a horrible situation, trauma, and they're welcomed into a family that's trying to seek to create a safe place, a beautiful place, a loving place. And so many of those families come to our church and we're just so grateful. And so what this is, you take this little box and you just put in it whatever the note says to put in it. And then when a foster family uh, picks up a kid and and, and they're going to welcome them, love them in their home, we can love the foster parent who's loving this kid. And so you take this, fill it up, and bring it back. And, and last year, they asked us to do like 100. It was so popular, they asked us to do 250 of these this year. And that's love. That's a, That's a practical incarnate picture of love. The other thing you're going to hear about in the, in the announcements is this, this event we have coming up called Fight the New Drug. The new drug is, is pornography. And if you're not aware of how out of control this is, and when the steps we need to start taking to protect our families and our kids well, you need to hear about this training because the world has warped what love is. The world has used the word love as a, as a dirty word or a word that's used to manipulate people. If you really love me, you'll serve me, you'll give to me. It's a taking word. We need to redeem the love because the central message of fight the new drug is we fight with love. by redeeming what love actually is. Now, the third thing we're going to do this weekend is we're going to have communion. Now, communion is a beautiful picture of God's love. So the very night Jesus was going to die, the very night that Jesus was going to take this step of going to the cross, he gave us communion. What is communion? Well, it's a picture. It's something Jesus said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me, that you remember my love, you remember my service, you remember my sacrifice. And so we take some simple bread, and the bread represents his body that was broken that because he was broken we can be made whole it's the proof of god's love and so when we take communion more than anything else we are reminded of god's love and this cup is is as he gave them it represents the juice and, and the juice is a picture of his blood his blood was poured out his life was poured out that we might have life and and so so he says he said on the night he gave communion he said this is the blood of the new and the everlasting covenant now covenant is a deep theological word, but basically what it means is relationship. So this cup represents the new relationship, the love relationship you can have with the Father and the Son and the Spirit because of what the cross is all about. So rediscover that relationship, rediscover that, and recognize that that relationship with the Father and the Son is not just you, it's, it's with the person you're sitting next to. And, and it could be with the person you work with. And, and the person who you've made other. And so God wants to extend this love relationship through you and to you in the most profound way. That's why whenever we take communion, we're supposed to have some time of self-examination and say, wow, is there anybody in my life who I've made other? A certain person, a certain gender, a certain race, a certain political party, a specific person, a person who's hurt me, a person I've hurt, a person who I've always just been in competition with. And so now I'm just going you know, to, just, just all the twisted things we do. So we take a step back and say, Lord God, I just want you to examine my heart. Is there anybody that I need to to forgive, anybody I need to love, anybody I need to ask forgiveness for? And as you come to communion, you make a commitment that I'm going to take steps towards being, being that person who gives love. Maybe for you, it's the other side of the equation. Maybe for you, it's been a long time since you felt, or you've abided in, or you've just received the love of God. And maybe today, you just in total grace need to come and say, I remember your body, remember your blood. I know you love me, and I'm just gonna remind my soul, I'm gonna speak to my soul that God loves me. Maybe you're here, and you, you just need love redeemed. You need you say, I need to see a pure picture of what love is. Well, the cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate picture of love. And so, here at Jacobs, Well, we don't have a lot of rules about communion. We actually don't believe anything mystical or magical happens to the elements, that it changes into anything. We actually believe the powerful, the supernatural thing happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And so, if you are here and you put your faith in Jesus, you really believe he lived, really believe he died and rose from the dead, and you believe when putting your faith and trust in what he did for the cross, that gives you forgiveness as a free gift of God, well then you're a follower of Christ and, and I'm a follower of Christ, and we're brothers and sisters, and even if you don't come here regularly or you're even visiting, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we would invite you to come to communion. All the elements are carefully prepared and they're gluten-free so if you have any kind of allergies it's still It's safe, very safe for you to have communion with us today. What happens is the ushers come forward and they dismiss you by rows. If you're in a situation where it's not easy or you don't want to come forward for for whatever reason, you just stay in your seat and raise your hands. The ushers will be moving throughout the room and, and they will bring communion to you. But at the end of the day, what we're doing this weekend is we're coming and we're reminding our soul that God loves us. How do I know God loves us? Well, because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then from that, we're letting it challenge our soul to say, God commanded me to love one another. And it's a crazy hard command. And I can only do that rooted and established in his love. And I want to take steps to love deeper than I ever have before. And maybe there's, there's, there's some big thing of forgiveness and transformation that God wants to do in your life. Wherever you are in your journey, um, let's remind ourselves of the love of God. Let me pray. Father, you are love. You have demonstrated love. In everything you've done. You've made a beautiful creation. You've made color and light. And and it has been a joy discovering all your attributes. But your love of God is seen most deeply and most profoundly in your son Jesus. Jesus, you came and you showed us what love was. And how you treated people. And how you empowered people. And how you set people free. Your delight was to extend the love you had between you and the Father to us. Father, help us to see that. Help us to believe that. Right now, in Jesus' name, I pray a blessing over every person right now who's having trouble abiding in God's love. They're doubting it because of situations, because of hurt. They're having trouble experiencing it. I pray right now that they could just abide and receive your love. It would speak peace and joy in their heart. Father God, I pray for any one of us here today who may be harboring something in our heart, in our life, some jealousy, some envy, some resentment, some unforgiveness in our heart. May you just bring that to light. And when people bring it, they won't feel shame. They will feel your love and your compassion. May you begin to start taking that out of our hearts that we, Father, would be people of love, that we could live in the full benefit of your love. As we take communion, remember your body, We remember, Father God, your blood that was shed, and we remember you. Teach us to be people who love you, abide in your love, and love one another. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.